What have you received from God? You know, that first song talks about being born again, you know. Do you remember where you came from? Do you remember where you were going? What have you received from God? You got to start there with everything. You know, it all stems from that. Otherwise, it's just a dry work. What we do is just a dry work without understanding that. What has he done for you? What is he doing for you today? You know, when you got saved, you didn't arrive. You bought a ticket. You bought a ticket. And what happens when you buy a ticket? Well, then you have to get in the car to drive to the airport, right? And you have to go through the traffic, the things that are irritating sometimes. You get through to the airport. Then you know what you have to do? You have to go through security. What does security do? It strips you of all what you would call your own security. You can't bring in your knives. You can't bring in your own guns. You have to leave it all behind and trust that the security on the other side is good. Now, we have something better than the airport security. Amen? And then you go through there, and you get on the plane, right? And then you have to trust that plane is going to take off and go into the air. And then you're airborne. Woo! Hallelujah! Glory! <laughs> you're excited. God is doing things, you know? You're airborne. But then you have to come back down to earth, you know? And then you have to trust that the landing gear are going to work, and you come back down to earth. Now, Booth's going on a mission trip, so I'll go... I can remember coming on the mission trip, and it was like we were excited for the things we were going to do. We get there. Sometimes we had to fight through the struggles, like uh, where we were ministering was high altitude, so we had some altitude sickness and stuff like that. It came on people. And then we prayed, and we saw God move. You know what I'm saying? We saw people healed. We brought like 50 teenagers with us, and we watched the teenagers lay hands on people, and people get up and walk. You know what I mean? We saw God move in their hands. And they were excited about what God was doing. You know, you walk around here, you hold up a track. What do people do? They go to the other side of the street, right? <laughs> you go to a foreign country, well, like a third world country, you hold up a track. They're like, what do you got? What's that you're holding? I want to know what you're doing. And they come to you, you know, and it's exciting. Then you have to get back on the plane, trust God all over and come back to your everyday life. But you need to bring that with you. You need to bring that excitement that you got when God was using you and stir it up in people around you, right? Your salvation was not an arrival. Your salvation is the beginning of a trip. And something you've got to bring with you every single day. You have to stir yourself up. Remind yourself of what God has done for you. Stir it up in yourself and take it with you. No, remember what God has done. And then you can do the things that God's called you to do, and it's not a work, because it's an overflow of your heart. You know, New Testament, and I'll talk about this. I'm probably way out of order in my notes, but New Testament, Old Testament, right? Old Testament was about the law. You did things because you had to do them. New Testament is by the heart. You do things because you can do them. You can do them. You can do these things. It's an exciting overflow of your heart that you do them. Um, sowing is all about, 
I say serving is all about sowing. I so the whole Bible is about sowing and reaping, right? There's so much sowing and reaping. Most of the time, when you say sowing, reaping, people think money automatically, right? So we will talk Galatians six, which I don't have up on my notes, but uh, I have it in here in a note, which I should have opened up. Galatians six six through ten. It says, um, I'm actually going to read seven through ten through the Passion Translation. It says, God will never be mocked. For what you plant, you'll always be the very thing you harvest. Well, I should read 6 a little bit. Um, in the ESV, it just says, uh, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, you also reap. And it is talking about financial harvest there because there was giving in to ministers and stuff like that. Um, but it goes on. It says, God will never be mocked. For what you plant, you'll always be the very thing you harvest. The harvest you reap reveals the seed that you planted. <laughs> wow. The harvest you reap reveals the seed you planted. <laughs> the harvest you reap reveals the seed you planted. You want to see good things in your life, you plant good things with a good heart. You have that heart right when you plant them. You know, I always say that you could shoot someone, you can either be a hero or you can be arrested for murder, right? <laughs> What's the difference is the motive behind your heart, right? You shoot someone because you're saving someone, you're a hero. You shoot someone out of selfishness, you're a murderer, right? It's all in your heart. If you plant corrupt seed of self-life into this natural realm, you expect to harvest of corruption. If you plant a good seed of spirit-filled life, you'll reap beautiful fruits that grow from the everlasting life of the spirit. And don't allow yourself to be weary in planting good seeds for the for the season of reaping. The wonderful harvest you planted is coming. Take advantage of every opportunity to be a blessing to others. Take advantage. Does that sound like a chore? Take advantage. You know what you do when you take advantage of something? You're grabbing something good. That's you know what I mean? You're not doing something drudgery. You're grabbing something. I get to do this. I get to do this. Take advantage of every opportunity to be a blessing to others, especially to your brothers and sisters and the family of faith. But it goes on. You know, there's reaping and sowing in the natural, which you look at Genesis. I'm not going to read them, but Genesis 8 talks about sowing in natural, uh, you know, sowing and reaping in the natural. Um, Luke 6 talks about judgment, you know, how you judge or how you'll be, you, what you get judged on. You know what I mean? If you sow mercy, you'll reap mercy. That's the easier way of saying it. <laughs> if you sow mercy, you will reap mercy. And Matthew 25, which we'll read a little later, is all about servanthood. So we'll go through those. It's more blessed to give than receive. You know, you want to serve Jesus? Do you want to serve? Does everyone here want to serve Jesus? Then you have to serve others. You have to serve others. The only way you can serve Jesus is by serving others. Uh, it's not going to work. Amen. <laughs> I just try it real quick, but then I'm going to ignore this thing after that. That's all right. <laughs> it should should go to uh, the source, but that's okay. We should have. I 
should have came a little earlier and practiced with it. Um, HDMI two, it should go right. Yeah, so it's not. That's okay. I just had the scriptures up there mostly. Um, John 13, 1 through 20. If you got a phone, most of you have the U Bible on your phone, you can follow along with me. Now, before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that the hour had come to depart of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were with the world, he loved them to the end. That's <laughs> really twisted to say that out loud. But Jesus knew that the hour had come to depart this world. Jesus was talking to his disciples right before he left. Do you think what he was saying was important? Jesus was talking to his... Oh, what verse? No, John 13. Sorry. Matthew 25, we'll go later. John 13, verse 1. Do you think he was talking about something important? He's just about to leave them. These are his last instructions. You're talking about something important. The Passion Translation says... Uh, Jesus knew that the night before the Passover would be his last night on earth before leaving this world to return to the Father's side. And all through this time with his disciples, Jesus had demonstrated a deep and tender love for them. And now he longed to show them the full measure of his love. Amen? He longed to show them. We're going back into ESV, verse 2. During supper, when the devil had already put in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, the devil had already put it on, and Jesus was going to serve him the Last Supper. This was the man that was going to betray him, and Jesus still served him the Last Supper. How would you treat the one you knew that was going to have you crucified? <laughs> Sometimes I hope that, Jesus, that Judas was thinking, well, maybe God will just rise up when they come to get him or something, that maybe he had some other alternative motive in his head. You know what I mean? I try to think, why would, Jesus, why would Judas do that? You know? Yeah. And then I think of all the things that I do that are stupid, and I'm thinking, why did I do that? <laughs> Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things his to hand, that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from the supper. Last night, I was reading this, and it, I saw something totally different in this thing. So I'm going to say things that I, you just have to listen to me, may, hopefully to make sense to you. He laid aside his outer garments. In a, in a priesthood, right, what is the garments? There's the robes of his office. He laid aside the robes of his office. He laid aside everything that gave him the privilege to do what he was doing. You know what I'm saying? He laid aside his leadership. He laid aside the kingship. The same thing he did when he came to this earth. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. Now, we think of washing feet 
You know, we think of it, it's pretty bad. I, uh, I had a friend in college, I shared this one other time, but I had a friend in college that uh, he had something wrong with his feet. He did. I lived two, he lived on one side of the house, I lived on the other side of the house, and we had another roommate between us. And when he took off his shoes, I knew it. <laughs> so one time we were driving back from a Christian concert on the way back from Massachusetts up to um, Bangor, Maine at the time. And we were driving back, and, and I was sleeping in the back seat. And uh, this is before we were even going out. And Donovan, my friend, said, can I take my shoes off? And my wife said, yes. Unsuspectingly, she said, yes. <laughs> He took his shoes off, and I woke up like that. Donovan, put your shoes back on. <laughs> but we think of feet as we think of them today. Back then, they, they walked on these feet. They sweated on these feet. These feet were not pretty things to look at. You know what I mean? They were scarred and beat up. Today would be like going into your friend's bathroom and cleaning their toilet for them. Because I'll go through it a little bit, but because he talks about everyone's clean, but one of you's not, or at least not all of you, but he's talking about Judas. Because it's a heart thing. Yes. Yeah. It's a heart thing. Yes. Everything can look right, but where is your heart? Yeah. You can even say the right things, but where is your heart? Yeah. Then he poured water into the basin, began to wash his disciples' feet, and wiped them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He washed those dirty feet and dried them off. And Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered, what am I doing you do not understand, but afterwards you understand. And Peter said, you will never wash my feet. That's pride. That's pride. You will never wash my feet. You think it sounds like a humble thing, but it's actually pride. I know better than you. You won't do what you say you're going to do. You know That's why most of the Jewish lost out on salvation is because they wouldn't allow Jesus to wash their feet or more die for them. They wouldn't admit the sacrifice that God was willing to pay for them. Think of this with your salvation when you're reading this. I've never read it before. That's what I said. That's what hit me is that when Jesus came down to this earth, he took off his robe of majesty. He came down here and he washed our feet. All the dirty things we had been involved in, all the filthy things we had been involved in, he took and washed us with his blood. Yeah. He washed us. He dealt with that stink in our life and removed it. And unlike my friend Donovan, when he washed his feet, we no longer smelled, right? <laughs> <laughs> Poor Donovan. Yeah, don't talk about feet. <laughs> we know him by his feet. Amen. Hopefully he had something done to him by now. Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand, but afterwards you will understand. And Peter said, You shall never wash. Oh, I, I already said that. Jesus answered and said, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Isn't that the same about salvation? If he does not wash us, if he does not wash us, we have no share with God. We have no share with God. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but 
my hands and my head. <laughs> There's old Peter. He gets a little bit of rambunctious. <laughs> wow, you got to wash my feet. Wash all of me. <laughs> but I love Peter. I really do. He was the one that walked on water in his rambunctiousness. You know what I mean? Sometimes it's all right to be a little overzealous. God will tune us down. That's all right. Calm down. <laughs> we'll deal with it. And Jesus said, the one who is bathed does not need to be washed except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. And that's why he said, not all of you are clean. And obviously, they all had the same bass and stuff, so he wasn't talking about dirt. <laughs> he was talking about the heart. He says, not every one of you is clean. He was talking about Judas's heart was not clean, not right towards him. And he was doing the things. He was serving. He was administering. But he was not clean in his heart. And it came to be revealed in the end time. And when he washed their feet and put on an outer garment and resumed his place, that's what Jesus did, right? After he died for us, he went back to heaven and put on his robe of majesty. And he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, you are right, for so I am. <laughs> our God washed our feet. Let alone our teacher and Lord, our God washed our feet. If then your Lord and teacher, if then your God have washed your feet, then you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example. For I have given you an example. That you should also do just as I have done to you. I have given you an example. Hmm. Good example to follow. I'm going to skip down to verse... 20, it says, Truly I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. You know, sometimes we think, I said we arrived and that we're all done with everything, but like Peter, sometimes we think, well, what do I need this for? But we need sometimes to have our feet washed again because they have traveled on this world and they've gotten dirty. That's why 1 John 1, 9 says, if, says if you confess his sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive you. There are times when we stumble and stuff and we have to have our feet washed again so that we can serve God wholly and full-heartedly. And when you are washing someone's feet, you no longer are thinking about yourself. When you are serving someone, you're no longer thinking about yourself. You're thinking about the person you're serving. I mean, if you have the right heart, you're thinking about the person you're serving. You know, I did a sermon on fear and, and uh, faith, right? <laughs> They're actually two opposites, right? But one focuses on God, faith, and one focuses on self, fear. 
you know, and it's just like that with everything of God. You know, what are you focused on? Are you focused on God, what he's told you to do? Are you focused on his children that are before you? But one time, I don't know if I shared this here before, but one time I, uh, I had a, a daughter, my middle daughter. If you ever see her, don't tell her this story. But my middle daughter had a, had a problem getting potty trained and, uh, and I woke up, you know, in your middle child, you have a new one, you have a middle child, and you're tired, you're up all the time, you know. And we had the, the deal where I'd, I'd pick up Hannah out of bed, send her on her way, and I'd tear the bed apart, put on new sheets, you know. And, uh, but it's every night for years, so maybe it seemed like years because of, we, you know, between kids and stuff like that. So that night I, I picked her up and I set her down gruffly. She never knew it, you know what I'm saying? But I was just frustrated. I said it and set her down gruffly. I tore apart the bed and God said, don't you ever touch my child like that again. Don't you ever touch my child like that again. And I got a revelation that Hannah was not just my child. He was God's child. And he said, I believe in her. If I believe in her, then she'll do all things. You know? Because I was having a hard time, I actually talked back to God. I said, but God, my excuses, you know, how, how when you're in yourself, you have all your excuses. But God, <laughs> it's been up every night for years. <laughs> but God, but God, but God, but God. God said, if I believe in her, I believe in her. He believes in each one of us. He believes in each one of us. He believes in us. He knows we will overcome the things that are before us. Amen. If we just hold on to him and trust him and rely on him and keep seeking him, we will overcome those things that try to draw us down. So, But I said it all to say that when we're serving each other, that's our heart. Who are we serving? We are serving God's child. Whose feet are we washing? We are washing the feet of the Almighty God's son or daughter. Actually, we're washing his feet. It says later on, we'll talk about that. But we just have to look. How are we, working? How are we serving the people around us? How are we viewing the people around us? Do we realize whose company we are in? Luke twelve forty eight. Everyone to whom much was given is much is required, and from whom they entrusted much, they'll demand more. This is like a life verse to me. Everyone to much is given. How much was given to you? I can tell you, so much was given to me. So much was given to me. So then I have to go on, and I say to him who. They entrusted much, they'll demand more. That means much is given, much is required. Much is required. So when you're doing something, remember all that God has done for you. Why would I hesitate to be a servant of all that God has done for me? All that he has entrusted to me. All he has given me. 
And this was talking about, if you read up above it, it's talking about managers, you know. Managers, talked about one manager who, it actually talked about the good first. Usually you think you talk about the bad first. But it talked about the manager who was good. What he do? He fed the people underneath him. He served the people. What is someone who feeds the people? They're a waiter, right? He waited on the people underneath him. He didn't wait to be waited on. He brought the food to them and fed them and waited on them. And then the unjust manager just took advantage and said, oh, let's get drunk and do all I want to do and not beat up all those other people that are underneath me. Get what I can and focuses on me. And uh, if you read a little further, it says that that manager was chopped up. <laughs> what have I done with the, what God has given me? A second, a third, a fourth chance? How about the friends and family he's given you? The freedom from sin, the freedom from the curses, the power to walk in victory. The power to walk in victory. You have the power to walk in victory. I'll probably emphasize that whenever I can because I, I can't tell you. I am so grateful to not be trapped in the sin that so easily entangled me. I am so grateful to be out from under that oppression. I am so grateful for what God did for me. He set me free. He set me free. Uh, and have a relationship with the God Most High. Whoa. That's what a gift He gave us, to have a relationship with the God Most High. We can talk to God. You know, I, I do Facebook a lot, and I get all these answers to me, and I always try to say, pray to God, ask Him to reveal Himself to you. I believe He's going to reveal Him to you. If, he, if they would take the time to ask Him with an earnest heart to reveal Himself to them, God will reveal Himself to them. Amen? Amen. That's right. But we get to have that relationship. We get to talk to him. When we don't understand something, we can say, God, I surely don't understand this. This doesn't make sense to my natural mind. Help me to understand. Help me to have peace with it even when I don't understand. And he'll give it to you. He'll give you that peace. Most of the time we don't have it because we're trying to figure it out for ourselves. Oh, what can I do to get out of this? How can I figure this out? It's all up to me to figure out how to get out of this situation, but it's not up to you. It's up to God. And tap into that. Rely upon Him. And be a witness through your act of kindness. <laughs> uh, the other day... I, we were working and someone asked me for a tool and I, I didn't actually have it in my toolbox. But I always carry this toolbox in my trunk of my car that has most every tool in it that I could need. You know what I mean? I carry it there to be a blessing. One time we were at a hotel room, not this Christmas, the Christmas before, and uh, we actually spent Christmas in there because my daughter's power was out. And we were up there Christmas Eve and this 
father and mother came along and came up to the front desk and said, do you have a screwdriver? Well, we were celebrating in the room next door, and I heard what he said, and I said, oh, what do you need? I got the tools. <laughs> and then he put together the kid's toy. It was for a kid's toy they were putting together, you know? That's one way of being a servant, being prepared to serve, being prepared to have that thing when someone needs it. It's a way of witnessing to the world of God's love. It cannot be done as work. We've kind of looked, gone through it, but I'm going to go through a little more. We are in the New Testament. It's all about heart. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. God saved you by His grace when you believed. So I'm just going to say right here, He saved you by grace. So it's always, it already admits the grace is there, that we're not saved by our works, right? So it's always said, we're not saved by our works, we're saved by His grace. So that you can't take credit for this. It is a gift of God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of you can boast. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ so we can do good things He planned for us long ago. But if it's not works, but He tells us we have to do good things. I like swapping good and God. We have to do God things. We have to do God things. You know, I believe in the heaven and hell. And people say, how could someone send someone to hell where there's all this torture? Well, to me, it's just simple. God is good, right? So if you're over here, you have good things, right? All the time. And over here, you have no God, right? Absence of good. What's the absence of good? Evil. It's kind of like there's no such thing as darkness. There's only absence of light. You know, What's the absence of good? Evil. So you get to choose. I could be with God or I can be without God. I could be with God or I could be without God. I could be with the good or I could be without the good. I could be with the evil. Heaven and hell. Just simplified for me. Uh, Revelations. Now, Revelations 2, 1 through 7. Now, you won't hear me preach from Revelations too much. Maybe God will change that. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe God will make me a big Revelations teacher. But right now, I usually don't teach a lot from Revelations. You know, it's like, I'm the, I guess I'm the here now guy. I'm, I'm looking at right now, what's God doing right now? I, Revelations is great. I love reading about it and hearing about it, but I'm not necessarily preaching about it. Um, Revelations 2, 1 through 7. And the angel of the church of Ephesus write, the words of him, oh, I'm sorry, Revelations 2, 1 through 7. Did I say that? To the angels of the church of Ephesus write, The words of him who lay hold of the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven gold lampstands. Listen to this. I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance. He's already acknowledged that they have good works. And I know you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Works without love. Works without love. 
Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. Well, he already said he likes their works, but what's the difference between the works they had at first and the works they're doing now? It's the heart. They did works at first. It's kind of like when you first fall in love. Right? With someone? When I first fell in love with my wife, I remember pedaling to a... Uh, um, I didn't have a license at the time. I was recovering from a DWI charge against me, which means I had like I couldn't afford the insurance. I no longer had the DWI thing, but you know the insurance is like outrageous for years after that. And so I was riding a bike to the mall to pick up a globe for my wife, and I rode back with the globe, and I was so glad to do that. You know what I mean? In snow and Christmas time. <laughs> I know it wasn't that deep. It was a 10-speed before they had mountain bikes, so it didn't have those treads on them. Like, <laughs> I was on the pavement, but it was 20 feet deep. <laughs> I'm sorry. It was 50 feet deep. <laughs> but I was, I, I was like, this is great. I get to do this. I get to do this for my wife, you know. It's great. And then you have to keep stirring that love up in you. Love is spelled W-O-R-K, W-O-R-K. Love is spelled W-O-R-K. It's not like the world says, you fall in love and you're in love forever. You don't ever have to work on it. If you fall out of love, then you just leave them because you fell out of love, right? Because but that's not what it, love is about. Love is work. Patient. You keep stirring it up inside you. You stir up that love that you have for that person. You remind yourself of what you loved about that person. The same thing with God. You stir it up in yourself. Remind yourself, God, I love you so much. You have done so much for me. I was lost, and you found me. I was in the kingdom of darkness, and you brought me into the kingdom of the Son and whom you love. I was stuck in a powerless, life-destructing life. <laughs> I was headed in the wrong direction. And you came and you pulled me out of that. So then when I do my work for him, it's like, praise God, hallelujah. Glory to God. I remember once we were doing... Um, we went on a mission trip, and uh, what are you thinking on a mission trip? I'm ready to like serve God, I'm ready to preach, you know. The first couple days we were out there, we were reaping hay with a sickle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we were in third world country, so they didn't have all the fancy equipment. They did, but they didn't have the place in the it. So we were out there harvesting with a sickle, you know, and um, it was hard work. Then God gave me a song in my heart, and I sung. The rest of that day and that work got easier, you know, because my attitude changed, right? The guys I were with didn't start singing and they were just complaining about all their pains and aches and stuff like that. But I was praising God, praising God, praising God. So much so that when they got in, the, the guy there said, you know, some people just like here to come to do the work. You want to just do all the work? I'm like, no, I came here to, <laughs> I'm looking forward to do the ministry. That's what I came here for. But if I'm going to be working, I'm going to have a good heart and the right attitude about it. I'm going to do it with a song in my heart. 
Ya. Nah, bu. And his joy will give me the strength to accomplish what I need to accomplish. His joy will give me the strength I need to do what I need to accomplish. I will not grow weary in doing good. Thank you, Lord. Praise God in all circumstances. In all circumstances. He's a good God. And like I talked about it before, is Old Testament is all about actions. New Testament is all about the heart. Have you ever had a kid I, where the kids does something grudgingly? Go clean your room. You know, they put that look on their face. And they go clean their room. I'm going to clean my room. I'm going to clean it. <laughs> Is that a blessing to you as a parent? But if you say, go clean your room. Oh, yeah, Dad. Oh, yeah, Mom. Every once in a while. <laughs> it's, it brings joy to the parent's heart, right? So you think when God asks us to do something and we're like, yeah, God, I'll do it. I'll do it. <laughs> You think that brings joy to him? Or do you think it is the one? Amen, God. Thank you for the opportunity to give, to do. I once heard a, um, a one of my spiritual fathers say he was he was a pastor, and he was really enjoying being a pastor because, you know, he had a house, and his family got to see him all the time and stuff. And God said, you're going on the road. And he's like, I don't want to go on the road, God. But God said, okay, I'll be obedient. I'll go on the road. And he's driving the tires, and he talks about, how he used to drive, he was down in this Texas and stuff, he used to, used to drive at night because his tires were so bald that if he was afraid they'd blow in the heat on the pavement. It gets really hot down there, especially the old style tires. And so uh, he just talks, oh, I drive at night because I was afraid the tires weren't going to last in the day. And, and so he got to God and he said, God, I'm being obedient and doing this. I'm obedient. Why am I not eating the good of the land, because of Isaiah 119. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. But if you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land, right? So he's like, why? Your word says, if you're willing and obedient, eat the good of the land. And God said, you are obedient, but you're not willing. You are obedient, but you're not willing. He said, wow, you can change your heart like that. He said, I changed my heart like that. And he points it to the, the time when his ministry changed, that God started providing for his ministry, that he was able to like bring his kids with him. On, he was able to buy a uh, trailer big enough that he could bring his kids with him at times. And like, you know, and, uh, it was all because of his willingness. The difference in the formula is your willingness. You know, you have this formula. You can have this huge formula, like X plus Y plus Z plus whatever, in parentheses, times W for willingness, right? <laughs> so it doesn't matter what's all in here. If this willingness is zero, what do you get? Zero. <laughs> if your heart's at zero, what do you get from all that work inside there? You can figure all those numbers out, but if you don't realize that's a zero at the end, you know, multiply anything times zero, you get zero. So it's like God's looking for that positive number in there. You just creep that number into the positive a little bit. And you can see the blessing he brings. You creep it in a little more, and you watch the blessings increase. You keep creeping it in. I'm willing, I am willing, I am willing, I am willing, I am willing. 
and watch him multiply in your life. Watch him multiply in your life. I just talked a little bit about brings reward. Acts 20, 35 says, uh, I have been a constant example. This is Paul speaking. I've been a constant example how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the works, the words of Jesus is more blessed to give than receive. Again, this was the parting words of Paul to the, uh, again, it's a parting words is all I mean. But as Paul, right before he left the Macedonians, it's more blessed to give than receive. Amen. And uh, I'm going to finish up with Matthew 25. I'll probably skip a little chunk of my notes here, but that's all right. Matthew 25 says, uh, 31 through 46, Come you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. This is called the judgment of sheep and goats. You know, a lot of people say this is just how we nations treat Israel, and I believe it works and nations treat Israel, but he was talking to the people. He was talking to the people. He wasn't talking to just the leaders when he said this. You know, he was talking to the people. For I was hungry and you gave me food. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was hungry and you gave me food. I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And the righteous answer, yo, when? When did were you hungry and when were you lonely? And the king will answer to them, truly I say to you, as you did to the least of these, my brethren, you did it for me. I was talking about you're serving his children when you're serving him. You are serving him. You are serving your Lord when you serve other people. And nowhere in here does it say when you served your Christian brother in prison or when you were hungry and you fed your Christian brother, it says when I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me. If you were a stranger, you probably weren't a Christian brother, right? You were a stranger. Sometimes we look at the people that come into our life, we don't realize the opportunity we have. You know, um, I heard a minister once say that, I've used this several times, but I, I love it, is that a minister once said that um, when the innkeeper said there was no room here in the inn, he was lying. There was a room, his room. He could have given up his room. He could have given up his room. And if he knew who he was doing it for, would he have gladly given it up? He did not recognize who was before him, and so he said, there is no room in this hotel for you. Do we recognize who's before us? Who we are serving? Who we are feeding? Who we are just being friendly to? Do we recognize the opportunity that awaits us?
we could be serving the Lord Jesus Christ. We could be feeding him. We can be giving him comfort. We could be touching him. We talk about the opportunity the apostles have. We have that opportunity if we are only willing. Cold cup of water. And I have that one in there, but we're going to skip it for now. <laughs> Amen. Just remember that it's you know his will for us to serve one another. And it has to come from our heart. Motive is number one with God. <laughs> Motive is number one with God. Work is an expression of our hearts. Be willing and obedient. And the word of, and there's reward in serving, you know, one I was going to talk a little bit about, at one point, you know, uh, giving, reaping and sowing, giving, and everyone always worries about tithes, right? Oh, is tithes for today or tithes for tomorrow? You know what I mean? Is tithes really for the New Testament? I can tell you this. God doesn't care about your tithe. He cares about 100%. There's no 10% in God. There's 100% in God. If you are 100% giving all you have to God, then what are you worried about the 10%? It's like, oh, 10%. You own it all anyways, God. <laughs> you own it all anyways. What is 10%? You know. But when we look at it, we only look at money. I'm saying God wants 100% of you. He wants 100% of you. Your life. He wants 100% of you. Every little part of you. He is a jealous God. He's not satisfied with just a part. He wants it all. When we give that 10%, we're just acknowledging, oh God, of course you have it all. I'm just giving a piece back to you just to remind you, well, just to remind myself that you own it all anyways. <laughs> I give a piece back to you because, hey, I know it's all yours. It's kind of like that earnest money when you bid on a piece of property, you put some money down, and basically it says, I'm going to buy this or whatever, and I'm, this is how much I believe. The more earnest money you put down, the, it shows the more it, uh, sincerity your, your uh, offer is or whatever. And it's like, that's what the tithe is to me. It's like, sincerity money. God, I'm truly yours. I am 100% yours. I give a little bit my time. I give a little bit my money. I give a little bit of my love. I give a little bit of what I do. I give a little bit because you own it all. 